Welcome to Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. So we are in Romans chapter 6 today. We're going to finish the back half of that book. Uh, So let me go ahead and read that, and and then we'll jump right into things. Uh, What then? Are we to sin because we are under... Uh, because we're not under the law, but under grace, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. That seems nice of him. Uh, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to uh, righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you have have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would work in us today. I pray that you give us eyes to see this text clearly, Holy Spirit, that you would speak uh, to our hearts uh, the, the beauty that is in this. I pray that you would defend us from uh, thoughts of legalism or, or duty or shame or anything like that, but that you call us more fully to walk into the beauty of the life that you have paid in blood for over us, Lord. So do your work. Be glorified. Transform our hearts. We pray that in your holy name. Amen. All right, so uh, life in general and specifically the Christian life is full of what I've talked about a lot uh, as pendulum swings, like back and forth, or at least the temptation to swing our belief uh, on this pendulum from one extreme area all the way to another. And Paul started speaking into this pendulum struggle as he opens Romans chapter 6. In that text last week, he dealt with the wrestle that we all kind of have at some point to think that because salvation is a gift of grace, it is free, it is not earned, you don't work for it to to make yourself available to to get it, uh, to think because Christians are justified or legally uh, given the declaration of righteous outside of any righteousness that they have of their own, to think that because Christ's sinless life is what saves us, not our own, because of all those things, it can cause many people to swing the pendulum of our thoughts about sin into this kind of unhealthy, weird, and awkward spot that believes that sin isn't just that big of a deal. Uh, And and we can kind of keep doing our sinful actions, especially because we tear them off. The ones that we consider maybe less high on on the hierarchy, we can kind of keep doing them, well, because of grace. And Paul addresses this by asking, should we sin all the more so that grace can abound? 
Should we decide that since sin isn't a barrier to getting into the kingdom of God because Jesus saves sinful people, amen, would be a great thing right there, uh, that it therefore doesn't uh, matter if we kind of keep sinning after we are saved? The answer that Paul gives to this is emphatically, uh, of course not, by no means. You should not be doing that. This mindset that, that grace means we get to kind of focus on, on, on love and deprioritize sin, we have to understand that mindset that we see all over the place right now is not new to us. We're not the first people to deal with this. Paul was dealing with this less than 60 years after the resurrection of Christ, and though it may be packaged differently depending on what historical moment that you live in, it's been the struggle ever since, a struggle for all of humanity, especially Christians, to view sin in just kind of a healthy and right way. Now, one, while one group may lean towards a side of license when it comes to sin, it's just not that big of a deal, it's okay because of grace, the, the other side of the pendulum uh, will, will kind of swing to the opposite side of the spectrum, and they'll declare, yeah, don't sin, or essentially, God will crush you, hate you, or disown you. And Paul, in the text that we read last week, uh, he, he doesn't uh, do any of those things. He avoids both of those extremes, and he says something profound. He says, don't sin because it's not who you are anymore in Christ. Follow me, he doesn't say, well, keep sinning because grace has got you. And he doesn't say, stop sinning or God will hate you. His message was, believer, you're now free from the bondage of sin. The old you that sinned and was mastered by sin is dead and a new you is alive in Christ. So realize sin has no hold on you anymore. It has nothing to offer you anymore. It cannot control you anymore. You're dead to it, awake, O sleeper, and walk in the life of freedom that you have, freedom from sin, freedom in Christ. In the text we covered last week, he wrote at the very tail end, for sin will have no dominion over you. Listen to these words. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Now this teaching leads to another question that we saw on the front side of the text today. If the law of God is no longer the way that you are saved because Jesus fulfills the law, the, the, the question is, are we therefore as believers uh, under any obligation at all to follow any of the law or live a holy life? Are you understanding? If the law doesn't save, do we need to pay attention to the things in the law anymore? Do we need to live holy lives? And, and he's asking uh, this as a, as a rhetorical question in verse 15. Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Now, hopefully the difference between the two questions makes sense. Let's frame it this way. In verse 1 through 14 of Romans, Paul was addressing, since we are under grace, um, should we keep actively sinning? That was the question from last week. Because of grace, can we just keep actively sinning? In verse 15 through 23, Paul addresses something else. If we're not under the law anymore, can we just ignore it? This is an extremely practical question for us because it's asking, can we do what we choose or deem right morally on our own? Do we have to obey the Ten Commandments if we're not under the law? Do we have to pay attention to that anymore? Do we need to yield to the, impor the, the uh, moral imperatives in the word of God anymore if the law isn't what saves us? Or can we just kind of do what we want and do our best and have good hearts and just kind of wing it and know that grace will cover the rest. Uh, Tim Keller says it well, what is the inner motivation that leads to self-control now that we aren't under the law and so we're not afraid that God will cast us off because of moral failure? 
Do, do you understand the, the mentality there? Like, what, what's the motivation to live holy lives if we're already saved? Like, what, what do you do there? Now, here's the difference. Question one was act, asking, can we actively keep sinning because of grace? Question two is, can we ignore actively pursuing holiness now because of grace? See how those questions go together? Though the questions are different, Paul answers both of them the same way. No. No, you can't keep actively sinning. And no, you cannot ignore uh, holiness or, or an active pursuit of righteousness in your life. And, and I would contend that we've all wrestled with these questions as well, whether we realize it or not, or whether we framed it the way that he has. But the way that we wrestle with it probably looks more like this. Do I need to read my Bible every day? Do I need to prioritize daily devotions? Do, do I need to have a regular prayer time or a quiet time with God? Do I need to do those things? Do I need to go to church every week? Do, do I need to go to a missional community if you're in our church? Do I, do I need to observe a, a, a Sabbath rhythm? Do, do I need to, to, to work on controlling my, my speech? Do, do I need to fast ever? Um, do, do I need to have regular rhythms of worship in my life? Do I need to uh, shelter my life to mitigate temptation from my life? Do, do I need to tithe? Do I need to do that? Do, do I need to be generous? Do I need to be missional? Uh, do, do I need to serve the body of Christ? Do I need to repent? Do I need to confess? Do I need to deny the desires that I have? All, all the like, hey, what do I, do I need to do that? Like, the second question Paul is asking looks a whole lot like asking ourselves, are there certain rhythms and patterns and disciplines and practices that we need to still do so that righteousness, holiness, and maturity may grow in our lives? And are there certain things that we need to avoid or stay away from also so righteousness, holiness, and maturity may grow in our lives? Do we need to worry about asking that question at all? Or do we need to hey, you don't have to do that anymore because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Can we, can we just be happy and do whatever we want? Or do we like, should we pay attention to that type of stuff? If we frame the question that way, then I think it gets a whole lot more practical for you and me because it's common to wonder, well, if you don't do anything to earn your salvation because it's a, a free gift, then what should we be worried about actually doing after we're saved by that free gift? Like, how do we... How do we figure that out? And if there are things that we need to be worried about doing, like why? If, if, if we've already, why, why would we do that? And Paul begins to answer this by showing us that just because a person is saved doesn't mean that they don't have a master. Everyone has a master. If you remember, Paul opened the book of Romans by declaring that he is a slave of Christ set apart for the gospel. And now Paul goes back to that idea and he ropes believers in. He's like, oh, and you are too. We are all slaves to something. He says that whatever we present ourselves to in obedience, whatever we obey or follow, we are slaves to. Because of that, everyone is a slave to someone or something in their life. Whatever they follow, whatever they obey, whatever they give themselves to, throw their identity into, uh, that, that thing is their master and that thing rules them because the flow of their life goes towards that thing and they follow it willingly. We can't stress it clearly enough. Everyone lives for something. Even the guy who's like, no, no, no I'm an island to myself. No, well, you're an island of the perception that, that you're that guy, right? Everyone is a slave 
to something. Everyone lays their life down on an altar of something. Some live for money, so wealth and financial control drives all that they do, including their generosity. Some live for experiences, so the pursuit of, of new experiences goes into everything, to how they, how they do their money, to what job they say yes to, and what things they, they do. Everything is just driven by that. Some live for autonomy, so their resistance to being controlled drives everything. I'll only go into certain places as long as I can do what I want and no one can control me, and, and some just live for themselves, so what suits them drives them and everything that they do. Author Rebecca Pippert says, whatever controls us is our Lord. That's little case L for Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Why should we focus on these things? Well, it's a question of what do you want to be your Lord? Paul's making us uh, face the reality that we often try and deny and forget about whatever we obey is our master and we are its slave. We talked about this in the beginning of Romans. This is not talking about race-based slavery like we thought of in the beginning of our country. This is an economic slavery where you give your allegiance to something to get something back from it. But here's the reality. There's no person who does not have a master. So the choices are, are pretty limited that the Bible gives. We can be a slave to sin, though that can have many different forms. It's still under the category of of sin and give ourselves to sin, which leads to death. It just steals our humanity and destroys our community. Or we can be slaves of obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Notice what Paul is doing. He's reframing for us how we view our lives. When asking all of those questions that we mentioned before, do I need to read my Bible? Do I need to pray? Do I need to fast? Do I need to go to church? Do I need to worship? Do I need to be missional? Do I need to tithe, observe a Sabbath, confess, repent? If you are a believer already, you do not ask those things to be saved. Meaning you shouldn't be asking, okay, what's the the bar? Like the rich ruler who came up to Jesus says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We're not asking those questions as if what is the bar in order to reach salvation so that God will accept me to make sure that we are justified. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus meets the standard that you and I could never meet, right? Functionally, we have to understand that. I could not, so Christ did. So if we're asking what's the bare minimum I need to do to be saved, we've functionally forgotten the gospel. And what we're, what we're doing at that moment is we're back under the law. We've forgotten the true goodness of what God has done, and we've placed ourselves back under the law that Jesus paid with his blood to free us from. So asking those questions isn't about triple checking that you're saved. We ask those questions because we're asking this, what are the habits and actions and things that God has given us as blessings to safeguard our lives so that we don't accidentally start living as slaves of sin again when we're already free in Christ? And are those disciplines and standards and objects of obedience that God has given us, uh, we, we have to understand that those are given to make sure that we aren't slaves again to sin or the world around us. This is why David in the Old Testament says, God, your law is like honey to my lips. Think of all the laws and the commands. He goes, no, 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 they're sweet. They're good and they're good for me because I know that you are good and that you want the best for me. I follow them and know that they are sweet because you are good. Because of the laws of God, 
and the ways of God are not tools to imprison you. They're to save you and me from going off and living as a slave to something else. They're there to make sure that we don't sabotage the joy of the Lord and the freedom that he has purchased for us. We have to say it again and again and again to ourselves. God did not send his son into the world to condemn us or hurt us. He sent Jesus so that we may be saved and have life more abundantly. Here's the thing, though, that abundantly has nothing to do with your finances. It has to do with a life well lived, a life actually fulfilled in Christ. It has to do a, a life full of joy and hope and peace and satisfaction. Does it mean that there won't be pain or struggle? No, no, you're still going to get that on this side of eternity. But the reality is he has sent Jesus so in the here and now we may live the eternal life, which looks like the fruit of the Spirit, comfort and loving and kindness and peace when the world is out of control around us. In Christ, the law helps safeguard those things in our life, not steal them. We've got to hear that again. The laws, the ways, the rhythms of the world, or, or of the word, are not trying to take anything from you. After covering this, look at what happens. Paul busts out into a doxology. This is just like he stops and he just starts praising God. Verse 17 and 18, but thanks be to God, not thanks be to himself or some other preacher. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having set free from sin have become slaves to righteousness. He just starts like, praise God for this. We're asking the wrong questions. See, we can get distracted and sideways by asking, do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to not get drunk? Like, what's, what's drunk actually look like? Do I have to really go to church? And Paul busts out in this moment of praise saying, thanks be to God, we were once slaves to sin. We were controlled by it. We were ruled by it. We could not get out from underneath of it, and it defined us. And us as slaves to sin have now become obedient from the heart. We've been set free. Slaves of righteousness, slaves of goodness. He says, behold, friends, the miracle that God in his loving kindness has brought. We get stuck to where we can't see the forest through the trees at times. Stuck in the details of, of what do I have to do as a Christian? Or what do I have to not do as a Christian? He says, don't miss the greater reality through those details. We were set free. We were made new. We've been transformed from dry bones and death to slaves of righteousness that obey from the heart. Do you realize the beauty of that? Yes, all of those questions about rhythms matter a ton. But maybe not for the reason that you think. They, they matter because God has turned lost sinners into obedient children. They matter because they show the miracle that God has done. They are not currency that we pay to get saved. They are the evidence that God brings out of our lives to show that we've been saved. Do you understand the order of operation there? We have to press deeper into the beautiful detail that Paul says inside the doxology. We who are once slaves of sin have become, hear this, obedient from the heart. And you got children, you're like, they were obedient, but it wasn't from the heart. It's a perfect way to summarize being under grace and not under the law. Obedience that comes from the heart. I wasn't mad I had to do it. To be under a law, a person doesn't obey from the heart. They obey because they, they, uh, they don't obey because they want to or because they trust God. They obey because they feel like they don't have any other choice or God will crush them. 
To be under the law and obey is to give God our begrudging submission in life. Yes, there are going to be times where there are things that you don't like and you just got to suck it up and keep moving forward. That has to do more with, with, with your heart in that moment. But a lot of times we obey really because we're like, well, hell's hot. What, what alternative do I have? This isn't freedom. That's not a byproduct of joy or satisfaction in God. This is the equivalent of some odd spiritual tax, a thing that we would opt out of. If there was any way I could opt out, I would, but I can't, and the consequences are high, so I'm going to just keep paying the man. It's not, that's not why Jesus fled. And this way to try and obey in a mindset of being under the law ends up being a crushing weight. What does it lead to? Bitter, angry hearts. Legalistic hearts, joylessness, critical spirits, nothing good. While to obey is one under grace, that type of obedience is meant to be like a blanket of comfort. Under the law is a crushing weight. To obey under grace, that's a comfort that I'm following you because I know you and I trust you. A part that we may miss if we fly by too fast is the detail that Paul puts in verse 17. If we ask, how does obedience from the heart grow in a believer? Paul says we become obedient from the heart by God's grace and through the standard of the teaching that we are committed to. The word standard um, isn't maybe the best rendering of of the original language. It it works, but a better understanding of the original language would be a mold or a form of teaching. Paul's saying obedience from the heart comes first and then grows in us as we're placed into the mold of truth. This is the word of God. As we're consistently placed into that mold and we continue to be committed to the gospel which saved us, our lives become like hot metal in in a casting mold. They're poured into it and the mold just forms and shapes us more into the likeness of Christ. It refines our edges. It changes our rough spots to where righteousness grows as we see ourselves as slaves to a good God. See, it happens all the time that people go to the word in the opposite way, trying to make the word of God mold into the way that they want their life to be instead of placing their life into the mold of the word of God, trying to conform the the holy words of God into the desires of men and women. No grace will ever grow in that way. Only sin and destruction. We submit ourselves to the words of God and it changes us over time. This is why we preach through the Bible and not cultural sentiment. Man, over the last probably four or five years, I can't tell you how many people have, have been upset that we don't preach headlines. No, we, we preach through the word of God. Why? Because we want to be molded. This is why when you ask, like, should I read my Bible and how much? Well, the question is, how much do you want to be molded? Yeah, I, I think if you want your life to be formed, it's probably a good idea. Why? Because you want God to keep working in you, and the way that he works is through his truth and his spirit. In verse 19, Paul offers another way to look at obedience and rhythms of faith. We do not obey because we have to. We obey because at one time we didn't. And in our lawlessness, when we had no mold or form of truth to shape us, our lawlessness grew. Our sins produced more sins, and then more, and then more. So lawlessness begets lawlessness, and sin begets sin. 
He says, so instead present your members, your body, your actual self to righteousness. Why? Because then you can watch as righteousness is presented, as you present yourself to righteousness, righteousness will begin to multiply in you. And then hear this beautiful thing, and then sanctification will happen. The fruit that you will bear is your life will begin to look more like your Savior. You say, hey man, do you, do you want to live that other way where lawlessness gave you more lawlessness, or do you want to live where righteousness begets more righteousness, and people begin to go like, I see your Savior in you. One of those probably sounds better than the other. Verse 20, for when you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. Now, now look, that's a, that's a play on words. When you're slaves of sin, you are free. Like, you don't have to worry about righteousness. For what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For believers who view obedience and righteousness is just like this bummer. It's like, ah, uh, right? Like, I tell my kids to clean the room. Uh, Paul asks, okay, can we examine that thought process for just a second? He says, when you were slaves to sin, and you were free from righteousness, absolutely free from it, you didn't have to worry about righteousness, you weren't striving for righteousness, right? You're completely free. What was the fruit your life produced then? Let's just look. What was the good you bore from those things that you now know are shameful? Good fruit there? Did it go well for you? See, over and over, he's letting us see that in that sinful life, we go back to the well of the sin and the world, and we try and find life and peace. And what does it do? It just lets us down over and over and over. None of those things gave you life when you were in sin. So Paul just goes, why would you miss it then? Why would you begin to romanticize what you now know is shameful? And a life that you know would only lead you to death and destruction. Be careful, believer, if faith feels like a burden to you right now. Why? Because chances are the laws crept back in. All of a sudden, the law that God has freed you from, you feel like you're back underneath. And that law makes you feel like you're dead. The reality is when faith feels like a burden, we've crept back into the law, and the enemy is also willing to hand us a false picture of what life used to be. Oh, wasn't that great? Wasn't it great? When you're just free, no obligations. Do what you want. I ain't serve no kids class. He's like, yeah, was it great? Let's look at what you were really doing. Was it? Can we be honest? The world is so caught up in not mentioning the word shame. You say, man, there's no beautiful fruit that's going to come out of shameful action. The enemy is trying to deceive you. And if you see that and you feel that way today, if your heart just feels like, man, it's, I don't know, it's just heavy. I don't know, it just feels bad. Man. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to draw you in, not to wound you, to walk you back into the grace that you've already received. 
Man, if you feel that, if you feel that tension in your heart, like it's just, ah, don't harden your heart or ignore it. Ask God to show you the beauty of the work that he has done for you clearly again. Ask the Holy Spirit, what is, what is one of the Holy Spirit's primary jobs? To show you Jesus. Holy Spirit, will you show me a fresh picture of Jesus because I'm not seeing the beauty of what he's done? Will you let me see my Savior who loves you and wants you to live in peace and freedom? Be careful, believer. If you're under the law, run from it and be careful from the false pictures the enemy will give you. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I prepared for this sermon, I think it's interesting. So many of us have probably heard that verse 23, but I don't know if we've heard it in context of the entire chapter six. Why does holiness, obedience, and rhythms of faith matter in your life? Because all of us are becoming something every day. All of us are becoming either more mastered by sin and the fruit it brings, or becoming more slaves of God and the righteousness that that brings. Hear me. Your heart can feel stuck in the monotony of life and the things going on. You can feel stuck and like you're not moving. Spiritually, your heart is always moving. And even when you're tired, you can't just tie it to, to an anchor and have it not move. Paul's saying you're always becoming something. So the question is this, what do you want out of your life? There's no shame in this question. It's just a question. What do you want? Do you want to live in righteousness that sanctifies you as you obey God? Hear this, for how dirty we feel inside sometimes. Do you want to live in this righteousness that sanctifies you to where you actually begin to look like Jesus? And as you do, you experience more the fullness of eternal life here and now. Do you want to have your literal communion with Christ, like the experiential way that you feel Christ with you and for me? Do you want to have that grow? Do you want to have a deeper, more full taste of the freedom of God? If you do, then you should pay attention to the law and your day-to-day walk with God and your obedience. Because if you do not pay attention to those things, it'll never grow. If you don't, Then work for the other master. It just says clearly, understand, be no one's fool. It's just going to lead you to death. Realize, though, on the other side, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. It is regular experience of not just your union, but your communion with him. Guys, we've got to do a better job of theologically understanding the difference of those. We're saying that you choose what is a better promise and what you want to have? It's up to you. The hard realization that we have to make is nobody drifts towards holiness. You don't accidentally run into like, I'm a good man now. I would love if that happened. But on this side of eternity, the pool of sin and our own desires and evil is everywhere. So if we want to fight them, we'll have to engage with our faith intentionally. 
This is not about law. This is not about being a Pharisee. It's if you want to fight that stuff, then you'll have to engage in a fight. Not to earn our salvation, but to further experience the fullness of it. We have to see our lives as aliens in this world who run towards Christ and away from the world as conscientious objectors of the way of the world to lean into the ways of God and experience the fullness of God. Again, what do you want? If you hear this and think, man, that sounds legalistic. Sounds like you're packaging duty in grace. And I'm not, I'm not advocating workspace salvation. Grace and grace alone saves. This is the cornerstone of the Orthodox Christian faith. Jesus did the work to save sinners. We just want to see with clear vision that to experience the full depth of that salvation, to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, to be free in Christ is going to take some intentionality and discipline. The Bible says it. Here's the beauty. One day it won't be so hard. Unfortunately, we're not on that day yet. I think that makes sense of why things in the Bible say, like, count the cost. It's been a beautiful thing of this resurgence of grace in Jesus paid, and Jesus did. But I think the backside of that unintentionally is it's formed this idea of almost spiritual entitlement. Because he gave us salvation for free, just don't have to do anything ever. And that's just not the reality we see in the word. We want to, with eyes wide open, see what Paul declares. When we're wondering how to navigate sin, whether to fight it or not, when we're wondering how to navigate the law and, and our routines of faith, understand that sin only leads you to death and gives you nothing good, no matter what it whispers into your ear, but God is drawing you to life, to righteousness, to freedom in him. Pay attention to your life and just which area you're headed towards. Friends, I have to do this regularly. And I believe if you want to experience the fullness of your faith, you will as well. I think that's what Paul is telling us here. My prayer for us today is simple. If you do not know Christ, that you would. That you would see Jesus' offer of redemption and, and peace is there for you. He offers it for free to those who ask. Here's the beauty. You do not have to fix yourself. You do not have to know more or be more. You lean into Christ saying, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Will you save me, inform me, and help me figure out the rest? And he will. And if you are a follower of Christ, the the prayer is that you just walk into a fuller experience of him. That if obedience feels heavy or hard, that you'd ask for new eyes to see with. And that the word and your day-to-day faith would grow your freedom in him, that it wouldn't feel like duty or obligation or, or just dry and weary, but that the spirit would begin to turn you and you experience life in God. Believer, God has so much more for you than barely making it by. Do you hear that? He has deep-seated fulfillment for you in Christ. There is real peace in a chaotic dumpster fire world sometimes. He has righteousness that you can grow in. Like really grow. And a plan to mold you to look more like Jesus, your king. And the hope is just that we would see that with fresh eyes. There is a choice for why we pay attention to our rhythms. 
I pray that we would walk towards life and obedience and then we'd see the fruit of it. Friends, what if together we set our eyes on obedience over a long period of time and just saw holiness grow? Saw our family members and children and fathers and neighbors go like, I don't know what's going on, but you're not the person that you used to be. You've gone to church the whole time, but now you actually don't, now something's weird. See, that's the hope. May obedience grow and sanctification grow. Man, you guys can come back up. We're going to take communion today. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends in worship, any of you can take. You don't have to be a member. We just ask that your faith be in Christ. But here's the beauty. To be under grace means he gave his body and his blood. He has paid in full all that we need for redemption. My hope is that you'd be built up into that. And then you'd ask him just what he wants to continue to do in you. And you'd be encouraged with the prospect of, man, God's not done with me. And he wants to work in me. Even the hard spots in my heart, he wants to work in those. Man, I pray that you would see the beauty of what he's done and anticipate the beauty of what he still wants to do in you. Will you stand with me?